Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the evolving role of the Chief Experience Officer, a charity's attempt at overhauling the donor experience, and a Thanksgiving treat for one bank's customers. Bandwidth, barriers, and Thanksgiving? Oh my! Sometimes we need to get out of the recording studio and experience things in person. Get ready to feel like you're standing right next to us as you experience this live. Well, hey, we've got another experience this live and we're super excited because this is the first time that Joey and I are doing an experience this live together. And in fact, we are bringing in a third party to have kind of a fireside chat. You see, we have located in the wild a real life chief experience officer. And so we're going to talk about this new C-suite level role of a chief experience officer, a CXO, and we're going to learn all about it in this segment. So we're super excited to have Kurt Schroeder talk with us. He is the chief experience officer for Abtech Solutions, which as you know, as loyal listeners, has been our great partner this season on the podcast. What's Loving Abtechs. What's going on, Kurt? Hey man, am I happy to be with you guys today? This is a this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. When 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 you said Dan, you know, we've invited in a third party. I was thinking to myself, you know, it's kind of always a party when you or I are in a conversation, and we've had folks just so that you know, we had a couple of conversations with Kurt in advance of our hitting record, not only today but in previous days. And Kurt's a really fascinating guy with a unique perspective on this. As you know, loyal listeners, we don't have interview guests. That's not how we do things. And that's not what you're listening to right now. What we do try to do is find interesting experiences and interesting perspectives to bring them to you. And we could have, let's be candid, found a lot of different people that uh, play kind of a function of a CXO or a chief experience officer. But what we were excited to talk to Kurt about is his unique perspective, not only in Avtex, right, because they do a lot around the customer experience function with their clients, but just his role and kind of how he sees the landscape now and in the future. So super excited for us to be having this conversation. So uh, tell me what, let's just start with like, what does a CX do? What do you do when you get to work every day, Kurt? Yeah, that's a great, that's a good question. And sometimes I wonder about that myself. So I think the pri- the primary goal of the, of the CXO role, at least as I portray it, is I wake up every morning and I think about how do we continually improve and deliver a better experience for our for our customers, and so wh- why is that even important? Um, I, I, I'm a firm believer that we live in a world that is, that everything is about the experience. We live in the experience economy. Joseph Pine wrote about that, you know, several years ago in his book called The Experience Economy, and and so 
what that means is, you know, products are, are largely undifferentiated. There's the time to market to, to replicate and make something better and newer and faster and more attractive. That, that time has shrunk down to weeks, maybe months at the most. And so what, what makes the difference? It's the experience that the customer has with you. And so if you don't have someone who is thinking about that day in, day out, at night, when they're waking, when they're sleeping, when they're eating, then, then I think you're lagging behind. You're missing a great opportunity. So what do I do when I get here in the morning? I think about what are the areas of our organization and the experience that we're rendering to our customers that we really need to improve and, and make better and create differentiation in the, in the market. I love that because we often say on this show that customer experience is the last true differentiator and that, you know, as you say, competing on product is really tough because everything can be copied. I mean, the example I love to give is Uber completely transformed an industry and then got copied by Lyft, right? And so everything, even brand new technology can be copied. And I always say that competing on price is a loser's game because, you know, you just ask the the local gas station with the with the competing gas station across the street that you can only compete on price for so long before everybody loses. And so what's left is the experience. So then what I'm thinking about is, What's the difference then between a chief experience officer and a CEO? I mean, you, it would, you would think that you would oversee every part of the company because, as we know, customer experience is really every interaction that a customer has with you. Yeah, that's, that's so, by the way, you do not want me messing around in finance. <laughs> I'll just get that out of the table right now. Oh, so I see uh, your your street cred, Kurt, as a customer experience person was just thrown down right there. Don't let me look at the spreadsheets. I don't want to do the finance. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest difference is just that, and that is a, a CEO has to be in tune and equipped to, to deal with so many facets of the business. And, and so, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, the CEO is going to have a focus in maybe a handful of areas. You need someone who is dedicated solely to what the customer experience looks like. Does the CEO care about that? Absolutely, and they should. But their mind is divided across so many uh, challenges and opportunities, and they need to make those decisions. You really need someone solely focused on the experience and, and bubbling up opportunities to improve the experience that the CEO then can make strategic decisions about. Guys, I have a question that I think would be fun for us to riff on. I mean, you mentioned uh, the book, The Experience Economy by Joseph Pine and James Gilmore. You know, interestingly enough, that book celebrated its 20th anniversary this year. I know, that's, that's crazy. Right? Isn't it? It's shocking when you think about that. 20 years later, I mean, it's it will be legal next year. It's very exciting for the experience economy. But what I find myself wondering is, why is it that so many businesses don't have a chief experience officer. Uh, I, I feel like for the three of us and for many of our loyal listeners, you know, we've already uh, bought full in to this concept. We understand that, you know, this every organization should have someone who, as you said, and I think, you know, it's funny, this is not at all scripted, ladies and gentlemen, but when you started out, Kurt, you said, I wake up every day thinking about how do we continually improve and deliver the experience to our customers. 
that's what we wish every employee thought. But let's be candid. We know they don't. But having someone in the organization that that is their primary thought, we know that all the research points to how successful that makes us. Why do you think so many companies have been slow to adopt that? Well, I think there's a gap between what the research shows and what we're practically able to believe. And here's what I mean by that. Customer experience is still kind of this squishy concept. I mean, look, look at it. When, when, we, when we talk to our clients about how to improve the experience, we talk about two fundamental needs that, that a customer has, regardless of whether it's B2C or B2B, but two fundamental needs that a customer has in, in an in interaction or an experience, which is they have a functional need. What am I trying to achieve? But they also have an emotional need. How, how, do, I, how do I need to feel through this? Well, you know, look, at, I don't want to talk about my feelings. And so as soon as we start taking a business down the path of talking about how do our customers feel, how do they perceive us, that is just starting to get way too squishy. And so I think we have organizations who retreat on that and, and are not willing to make the investment in, in the role uh, in order to really drive that and permeate it throughout the organization. So I still think there's a little bit of a gap between what the research shows, which is which is great. We know it proves it out. We know there's financial viability in investing in customer experience, but there's still a gap between, you know, I, I call it the, the, the 12 inches between the heart and the mind. In my heart, I know this is true, but in my mind, I still can't commit myself to make that investment. Oh, yeah. I, I think another aspect to this, uh, Kurt, and it's funny because uh, I actually just wrote a blog post for Avtex about this very topic, um, is that some companies, instead of having a CXO, are putting customer experience underneath marketing. So you have a CMO or chief marketing officer that is also in charge of experience. And I make the point in the article that I think either model can work as long as, as Kurt says, that you have somebody you know, with whom the buck stops uh, so that the, the experience has to kind of land somewhere. The challenge with it being under a marketing person is that that person may or may not be trained in customer experience because they may be classically trained as a marketer, right? And and having been a marketer for 20 years, there's a ton of overlap between marketing and experience. But let's face it, marketers are often most focused on acquiring new customers or helping sales acquire new customers. And I think that the CXO has to really turn inward and say, all right, we've got all these existing customers. How do we keep them happy, keep them loyal, fix the leaky bucket that we know we have on the back end with customers leaving? And, uh, and, and again, being focused on that every day. Yeah. And I think that's a good, I mean, it's a good observation. And, and so I, I, when, when we talk to clients and even when we look at ourselves internally, you know, when someone says, well, you know, what's, what's the purpose of, of rendering a customer experience? And I said, well, it's real simple. It, it should cover the landscape of find more, win more, keep more, and do more customers. So, so as we think about, you know, the, the entirety of the journey that a customer has with you, it's really along those kind of four key things that you want as measurable outputs are as the customer are you are you winning your fair share the the customer experience that is rendered during the sales experience is very very important we talked about the erosion you know in the losers game on price you know what if you're not providing a differentiated experience from the from the beginning then price is going to be the only decision maker and so we kind of look at 
you know, those four areas. And so to your point about where it resides, you know, who has purview, who has knowledge, who has oversight in kind of those four areas that can really drive an impact to the business. Many times, in addition to marketing, we, we see the CX role really incubating out of customer service as well. So I think between marketing and customer service, that's where we see it, you know, really residing in most organizations if it hasn't been already elevated to a C-suite position. Well, I think you bring up an excellent point, Kurt, and this is where, uh, you know, I don't want to turn our experience this live segment into an agree to disagree between Dan and I. But one of the challenges, there are two things that I think are at play here. One of the challenges I personally have with having the chief experience officer or whoever's in charge of experience report to the head of marketing or the head of customer service or the head of sales is to me it we we can only be responsible for so many things and when the head of marketing or the head of sales or even the head of uh, customer service goes into a board meeting or a C-suite meeting with the other executives that are kind of responsible for the different functionalities of the business i think it's going to be very difficult to champion marketing and customer experience in the same conversation because there are times when those two things are in conflict. That's just the the reality. And so I think having someone who's solely responsible for that is really key. But as a segue to where why I think it hasn't adopted thus far is it's adding another person to the C-suite. And in many ways, to your point, Kurt, this person has at least involvement, if not oversight, over sales, over marketing, over operations, over kind of ongoing retention. We can see where it can, uh, you know, get involved with things like compliance or finance. I mean, there are multiple aspects of the business that it touches. And my gut instinct, I could be wrong, is that many organizations aren't looking to have another vote at the table. Right. They already feel when they go into their C-suite meetings that, you know, oh, well, I'm in marketing and I'm constantly battling sales for attention or dollars or the blame is always being cast from customer service back on to marketing. And I don't want to have someone else that can, uh, you know, kind of accuse me of not taking care of the customer or, you know, not uh doing my job or my, uh, you know, my spend or my uh, allocation of resources properly. So I think there's there's almost a like a human condition philosophical conversation here. If everyone feels like they're responsible for customer experience, which I imagine the three of us would agree that everyone plays a role. But if everyone feels like they're responsible for it, lots of times it means no one's actually responsible for it. I think the other I, I agree with that. I think the other the other caveat that I would make onto that. It also depends on the organization's DNA and and how they grew up. In other words, if it's an organization that was extremely uh, product-centric from the beginning, then, you know, I'm I'm not going to have a a C position sitting at the table because that's not what we're known for. And and so it takes takes time. It it takes some uh, external disruption to, to, to really cause them to think about, what do we want to be known for in the future, and how does customer experience come into play? The organizations that we see uh, putting a, a C-level position in charge of customer experience are the organizations who have made the decision or who have had the original kind of DNA of the organization based on a customer experience value proposition, and, and they see the importance of it. So it depends also a little bit on you know what is 
you know, what is the DNA of the organization and whether they value that role sitting at the big table? Well, yeah. And speaking of the DNA, I think one of the things I wanted to chat about is this idea that the CXO having this this purview, this oversight of kind of the entire customer journey, it seems like that the role might be put in an uncomfortable position quite often of having to tell other people within the organization that their experience sucks, right? Or that something's wrong with it or that we need to fix something. And I'm wondering, especially as this role has continued to evolve over time, you know, how does it, what's the best way for it to interact with the rest of the company so that you don't have everybody else kind of, I don't know, um, worried when the CXO calls them because it must mean that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. I'm from the IRS. I'm here to help. Exactly. We don't want to help. <laughs> That's so true. So true. We don't want to, we don't want to create that model. So, so what, I, what I've seen is, is, is two models that, that, um, that I think most organizations kind of play into it and, and kind of bear with the analogy here. So in a, in a previous life in a distant galaxy, long, long time ago, I worked for this organization called GE, and, and so uh, uh, folks might have heard of that organization. Yeah, well, once or somewhere along the road, I might have heard of them. Um, so I'm a recovering Six Sigma black belt, so I go to meetings and. You know, uh, <laughs> always a recovering lawyer, so this is great. I am. I am Kurt. First step is admitting you have a problem. I like it. That's exactly right. So, so don't don't like you know. Let's not quit the conversation because I'm bringing Six Sigma into this. But, but organizations that really adopted Six Sigma strongly, what they did is they said, look, we're going to have a set of, of black belts. Everyone is going to be a green belt. In other words, Six Sigma is going to be a competency within our organization. And then they usually had a senior level position, sometimes at the C-suite as a chief quality officer, who then would permeate that competency in the organization. And so it became a part of the DNA that just said, look, this is how we do our process improvement projects and how we continually improve and create efficiency in the organization. What I'm suggesting is that's not a bad model as we think about CX. I, I think, as an example, journey mapping should be a core competency within every function in the organization. If you touch the customer or you're supporting someone that touches the customer, you, you should really understand how to do a journey map. What are the inputs to that? Because it helps create empathy, and empathy is so important in, in moving towards designing a better future state, a better experience. And so uh, the organizations that we see that are really doing well are looking at this as a core competency, not a function. And they're looking at, a, at, at the role of the CXO to drive that competency throughout the organization. So, so instead of getting the call from the CX person and then, you know, boy, we want to talk to you about the, the experience you're providing, it actually becomes more permeated through the organization and becomes embedded into their DNA and, and how they view working with a customer and providing the experience. Oh, I feel like that scene from Jerry Maguire. Uh, Kurt, you had me at empathy. <laughs> I totally agree. And, and I love that idea of journey mapping being a core competency. So true. Well, as we had a feeling leading into this conversation, the three of us could talk for hours and hours about this. But to me, the big takeaway is if you don't have a chief experience officer in your organization, 
you need to get one. You need to have someone who, like Kurt Schroeder, our chief experience officer at Avtech Solution and our guest for our fireside chat conversation today, uh, you need to have somebody who wakes up in the morning and thinks about how do we continually improve and deliver the experience for our customers? How do we find more customers, win more customers, keep more customers, and do more for those customers, and think about the experience every step of the way? Kurt, thanks so much for joining us for the conversation and being part of the experience this live. Thank you, it was a pleasure being here. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Usually when we talk about dissecting the experience, it's a customer experience that we're referring to. This segment's gonna be a little different because we're gonna talk about a major nonprofit and the incredible donor experience it provides its supporters. Charity Water's mission is to provide fresh, clean drinking water to rural communities throughout the world that previously did not have access to it. Charity Water's founder, the amazing Scott Harrison, not only recognized this as a critical health and economic crisis, he also set out to literally change how charities work. You know, this is such a great story, Dan. Uh, you and I, I know, have been involved in many nonprofits over the years, and I know we've also both heard Scott speak, and we've both also specifically contributed to Charity Water in the past. And as I recall, someone did a little something with Charity Water for their birthday this past year, if I do remember. I did, and I was proud to raise almost $1,800 for this wonderful organization, but let's come back to that. Scott Harrison recognized that people generally don't trust charities, so he did two huge things to combat that. First, he said, and I'm quoting, I asked people what their objections were, and we created a business model that would speak to those objections, unquote. Talk about leveraging the voice of the customer. That led to the second piece, which was his goal to ensure that 100% of all donations would go toward building wells throughout the world to provide fresh water. How did he end up covering his overhead? By ingeniously asking wealthy benefactors and celebrities to pay to support the business. He literally set up two bank accounts, one to cover operational expenses and the other to build the wells. You know, this is absolutely brilliant. It removes the trust barrier almost entirely because people really worry about where their money is going when they're donating to nonprofits and charity causes and whether it will actually be spent on the initiative that they think they're donating towards as opposed to all the administrative fees. But Scott didn't stop there. He went on to partner with Google to display all of the wells that Charity Water has built on an interactive map so that donors can continuously track their water output. His team is also amazing at marketing and tying all these things together. Yes, and that's where I wanted to come back to my birthday. So Charity Water does an amazing job of storytelling so donors can actually see the impact of their donations. Regular emails detail success stories from around the world. Videos show some of the poorest communities in the world literally seeing fresh water for the first time in their lives and bursting into tears of joy. The videos can be quite emotional. But the organization also came up with the idea of having people donate their birthdays to provide water, and that's exactly what I did last year. I asked my friends and family to donate to Charity Water in lieu of getting me a gift for my birthday, and 35 people stepped up to donate almost $1,800. Thousands of people 
aged 5 to 95 have done this, with some raising only a few dollars and others raising into the six figures. You know, all told, Charity Water has raised more than $300 million thanks to the generosity of more than a million people around the world. This has allowed them to bring clean drinking water to more than 29,000 villages, serving more than 8.4 million people. I mean, folks, this is massive scale. But something I'd like to riff on briefly about my experience donating to Dan's birthday. This was several months ago, and about Two weeks ago, I received an email from Charity Water saying that the funds had been deployed to the field. Now, the ironic thing, and please don't take this wrong, Dan, I had donated to uh, a number of causes over the last year. And when I first got the email, I was like, wait a second, when did I donate to Charity Water? Oh, I donated for Dan's birthday. So it kind of had a double hit in the sense that it made me feel positive about my donation to Charity Water. And they said, look, here's where we're building the wells. And I was able to see exactly the progress they're making. But it also made me remember my good friend, Dan Gingas, and think positively about his birthday. Now, usually in our very busy lives, the only time we think about somebody's birthday is right around their birthday, either the day of their birthday or if it's somebody who's really close to you, maybe the week or two weeks before. I thought this was really cool that it brought me back into connection with my friend and that that reminder was made by the nonprofit that I had supported. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's part of what makes them so good at marketing. I mean, one of the objections that Scott heard from people in terms of why they didn't donate to charity had to do with them not believing that their money actually went to a worthy cause. That people believe that it goes to the overhead or it pays giant salaries of the CEOs, et cetera. And so he's made it a special mission to make sure that donors get to follow along and see their impact. And not just the impact around the world, but often, depending on what project you donate to, the impact of a specific community that your money has supported. And uh, so I know, Joey, you got an email and I got an email recently about uh, one community in Africa. And there's uh, there's a story, there's videos, there's statistics about the amount of water that's being pumped, and it really gives you this feeling that the money you contributed made a difference. And I think that is is absolutely huge. It also doesn't feel like the typical nonprofit output report. You know, so often when uh, I've been involved in nonprofits in the past, when they share how your dollars have gone to work, what it ends up being is something that it just reads really dry. It doesn't read uh, as being nearly as compelling as the ask was. As we mentioned earlier, Charity Water's team is filled with some brilliant marketers and they have a great design aesthetic. So when I got this email, I remember very specifically stopping and reading the email and clicking through to the links to watch the video and kind of being reminded that, oh, this was a small contribution on my part that is having an enormous impact on the other side of the world with this village that now has a well that previously had no access to clean drinking water. So you may be asking, what does this have to do with my business? And I think the applicable takeaway here is to listen to your potential customer base, ask them what they like and don't like, so you can, as Scott said, build a business model based on those objections. And then keep communicating with customers to let them know about their or your progress. And this could be on a project that you're working on together, if it's a B2B arrangement, or the status of their order if you are a retailer. 
And please, if you are able, consider going to charitywater.org and supporting this incredibly worthy cause. Sometimes all it takes is a single question to get your company thinking about an improved customer experience. Here's an idea for how you can start the conversation. This week's Start the Conversation topic is the actual cost of poor customer experiences. It's common knowledge that poor customer experiences can cost businesses financially, both in terms of lost customers and prospects, as well as in the loss of repeat transactions. Poor customer experiences can cost a business far beyond the dollars and cents, however. They can also lead to a damaged reputation, unhappy employees, and staffing challenges, and the inability to effectively launch new products. Certainly, the monetary cost of poor experiences is a driving force for many leaders, but these other factors are just as important as they can lead to a cascading financial impact. In order to gauge the impact of poor customer experiences, organizations need to pay attention to online reviews, customer retention rates, repeat purchase trends, and social media conversations. And I would add to that that they need to pay attention to the news media and the coverage thereof, and also the importance of responding in a crisis. And I've written about this quite a bit, that when a crisis is happening, one of the things that people are seeking the most is information. They want their fears to be relieved. They want to uh, understand that you have the situation under control. And too often, companies in the middle of a crisis burrow themselves in their office and kind of hide out hoping the crisis goes away rather than coming out in public and confronting it, which I think is a really big mistake. And now for this week's question about the actual cost of poor customer experiences. How much are poor customer experiences impacting our bottom line? We encourage you to start the conversation within your own organization and then continue it with Avtex at experienceconversations.com. That's the website, experienceconversations.com. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. I found this amazing story about Ally Bank that is almost a year old, but I purposely waited to share it in this episode. Nearly every customer service call ends with the same question, or some variation. Is there anything else I can do to help you today? Ally decided to find out what would happen if they actually granted whatever request the customer said next, after that question. According to a story on its website, Ally says that, and I quote, on a day we dubbed Thanksgiving, we gave thanks to our customers by fully delivering on that basic question and surprising unsuspecting customers with whatever they needed, unquote. Now do you see why I waited until this episode? Uh-huh, very sneaky, Dan, because it is the season for giving thanks. Uh, I heard about this story too, and I agree that it is absolutely awesome. So on Thanksgiving, customer service agents surprised unsuspecting customers who had called in by asking that standard question and then actually fulfilling the results. 
There were simple needs like help with fall yard cleanup and a holiday visit to see the family and larger requests that could touch the lives of many, many people. They granted wishes big and small from $25 gift cards to $55,000 to help a customer who helps others. Now, there's a terrific video that Ally put together that we will share in the show notes at www.experiencethisshow.com. But I think this story is really great for two reasons. It's a great example of a true surprise and delight moment for Ally's customers. It's also, though, a fun and empowering activity for allies customer service agents. And I think that when you're able to do good things for both sides of the equation, both sides end up winning. When you have empowered agents that are able and allowed to help customers, and in this particular case, really provide a surprise and delight moment, it makes their job more fun, which makes them happier and makes them appear happier to customers. And of course, the customers got a real surprise because they answered a question that is usually a rhetorical question and in this particular case turned out to be real. You know, Dan, when I was a kid, one of the lessons that I remember my dad really trying to instill in us was that you need to remember that people love helping other people and that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for things. And that's what came up for me when we were talking about this story. I remember years ago, it used to be when you flew, you went to the airport, they printed out your ticket, and they assigned your seat when you were checking in your luggage. There wasn't, there weren't apps. You didn't log in online. I realize I'm dating myself here a little, folks. But one of the things I adopted early on when I was traveling a lot is when they asked me whether I would want a window seat or an aisle seat, I would always say, I'd love an aisle seat in first class if it's available. And the agent would kind of look up, realize what I had just asked, because it caught him off guard. I'm on a coach ticket. I'm asking for a first class, first class seat. And I kid you not, 80% of the time, they would smile and print out the first class seat. Now, that wouldn't happen today, most likely. But the point I'm making is when we give our employees the opportunity to exercise their own discretion for what type of things they reward and when they reward them, that's how you create a culture of customer experience. I also love the fact that in this story, Ally Bank, I mean, let's be candid. Banks aren't notorious for giving away money. They're not notorious for giving away prizes. Or if they do, they're usually, hey, everybody who opens a checking account gets a free toaster. You know, it's a kind of standard for everyone as opposed to personalized. And as we've talked about before, the personalization of the gift turns it into a surprise and delight moment that the customer will talk about. And I know the customers that received these type of gifts from Ally Bank talked about it on social media. They talked about it in the regular media. This actually became a story because of the generosity of the bank. Yeah, I think there's also a learning on the other side, which is for the customer. And I'm gonna quote my dad here who loves to say, you don't get what you don't ask for. And I think that's sort of the summary of the story with you and the first class tickets. And in this particular case, what I think is so interesting is that the customers actually did have to ask for something. I mean, most of the time when someone says, is there anything else I can help you with? It's like, no, thanks. Have a great day. And somehow they elicited from customers, no, really, is there anything else I can do for you today? And my guess is that, you know, this one guy said, well, I could really use $55,000 to help the soup kitchen that I run. And then the agent says, 
okay, done. And the guy had to have fallen out of his chair. Right. Right. And, well, and probably didn't believe it in the beginning. It was like, yeah, yeah, right, sure. And it almost, the trust would run the other way then, right? Because the perception is, well, if you say you're going to do it, are you really going to do it? And then when they did, I imagine it was magical. Yes. But this whole idea of you don't get what you don't ask for is important because sometimes when you do find uh, an employee of a company who is empowered and who is sort of willing to play ball with you, you can get a lot as long as you're willing to ask for it. And some people are too sheepish to even ask for it. I also love that we've now had the chance to reference both of our dads and the things they used to say exactly. when we were growing up. So good job, dads. Thank you, dads. Yep. So uh, the takeaway here is that not every company has a budget to do something like this, but you can still surprise and delight your customers or clients in meaningful ways without breaking the bank. And happy Thanksgiving to all of our North American listeners. We give thanks for you. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.